So, uh, so good to be here with you again today. Uh, like like um, Ken said earlier, uh, so thankful for your partnership. And yeah, your partnership uh, predates my AFES days. Uh, yeah, from to the time I was here amongst one of you as one of the congregation members and as the student minister and uh, later on the children's minister as well. Uh, yeah, just very fond of the people of this church and you're all very close to my heart. So uh, it's on to come and visit. Uh, it's a shame it's not more often, but uh, yeah, life is busy. <laughs> well, um, so it's an honor to open the Bible up with you today as we learn together from what a great passage. And funny enough, uh, this is the passage I selectively chose to miss last time I preached Philippians, which was a few years ago. But God has a sense of humor. Well, uh, today's passage is about uh, being lights in the world. Uh, well, let's, let me tell you about a man who was a light in the world. Uh, let me tell you about Stanley Dale. Uh, so there's a picture of him there. Oh, I'm sorry about that. So that's Stanley Dale. He's a missionary. A missionary, I was privileged to be able to disciple his grandson uh, when I was a ministry trainee. There's an interesting story there, but there's plenty of story in this sermon already, so I'll tell you later. You can just ask me. So in fact, uh, Stanley Dale, uh, something nearby is named after him. So uh, uh, the Croydon Park campus of Sydney Missionary Bible College, the Bible college I went to, I studied at a few years ago, uh, it's named after him. So the Robertsdale campus is partly named after uh, Stanley Dale. So Stanley was a missionary who died as a martyr, uh, as a missionary, uh, to bring the gospel to the Yali tribes people of Erinjaya. So Stanley had heard about these Yali people when he served in the Anzacs uh, in the Pacific in Erinjaya uh, in World War II. So what he did, uh, many years later, after going to Bible college, after getting married, he uh, went to find these Yali tribes people who had never heard about Jesus. In fact, they'd never had exposure to any uh, light-skinned people uh, at all. So he tried to engage them on a few occasions to build a relationship with them uh, and show them that they meant no harm, that they might welcome them in and uh, that they might be able to teach them about Jesus. Uh, but on one occasion when they tried to uh, meet with these, uh, uh, these people of the Yali tribe, uh, it was a very tense encounter. In fact, all of them were very intense encounters where the tribesmen, the warriors would come out and they would uh, stand far off and show them to stay their ground. Uh, and um, so in fact, Stanley thought, look, it's very tense, I'm going to back up because uh, for the sake of the other missionaries who were with me. But as he turned around, what happened is these uh, tribesmen, uh, they decided they wouldn't, they didn't know their intentions and they couldn't trust them. So they opened fire uh, with arrows and uh, they, all, they all died. Even before sharing a single word about Jesus, uh, yeah, it all ended. So it was a lot of effort for him to get there and those other missionaries as well, I'm sure. Uh, even just to find the Yali, Yali people, it took days of hiking through treacherous terrain uh, in the wild interior of Erinjaya. Um, but in the end, was it worth it? What he did here, if there was no tangible fruit from what he did. He never got to explain the gospel. Was it worth leaving his wife and children, who you saw in the other photo, one of uh, which I've met, uh, was it worth leaving them behind and worth him not meeting his grandchildren? Was it worth it? Well, uh, as we think about that, it'd be good to think about us as well. Uh, well, what about you? Uh, are there some things in your life that you've done 
which feel very costly. Um, things that were good things to do, either just for others or as part of your Christian service of others, or for Jesus. But in the end, you might not have felt like it was worth it. Maybe it didn't have much fruit. It was just a lot of effort. Uh, and it wasn't a pleasant experience. Was it all worth it in the end? And I think that's the question our passage asks us uh, today. Uh, is it worth all the effort, uh, all the effort that we put in in life, especially in our Christian service? Uh, well, that, today our passage challenges us with this question, doesn't it? Uh, it challenges the way we think about the things that we do, uh, particularly the things that we don't want to do, uh, by helping us to see why we should do it. Uh, well, what, did, what led to Paul instructing the Philippians about this topic? Uh, well, uh, the Philippian church, which you've learnt about already, uh, appears to be a young uh, church, and the church there appeared to be uh, a bit divided. Uh, they're not united. So now Paul has been urging uh, them to find encouragement and motivation from Christ in that great section you've just read, uh, uh, 2, uh, 1 to 11. You, did, you probably talked about that last week. So they want to, uh, Paul is encouraging them to, to find motivation in Christ's example as they serve one another. Uh, Paul has been urging them uh, as deeply as he can, in the most heartfelt way he can. He's really trying to pull up their heartstrings to help them uh, to better get along with one another. And now, uh, in this section we have today, he offers a gentle command of them to work out uh, what it is to be obedient to God uh, in their personal interactions with one another and in everything they do. Uh, that they might glorify God in these things. Uh, like he deserves to be glorified by his people. Well, how does he do this? Well, he does this by explaining to them the outcome of their obedience to God. He explains that when we listen to Jesus, God brings about uh, his good plan. When we listen to Jesus, God brings about his good plan. So if you're following along in your outlines, uh, in your bulletins, this is the first point of the passage. So how does he explain that... Uh, yeah, when we listen to Jesus, it brings about God's plans. Well, it's in verse 12 to 13 there. If you look with me, uh, it says, uh, Therefore, my dear friends, uh, as you uh, have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So, uh, what Paul is basically doing here. He's commending the Philippians again. That's how he started the letter, if you remember back. But now he commends them for listening to his instructions. Uh, his instructions about Jesus and about how to live lives as people who follow and believe in Jesus. Uh, they've been doing this when they were with Paul in the beginning. And now that uh, Paul's not with them, they've continued to do so. Uh, and in fact, now Paul can't come to them because he's in prison for teaching people about Jesus. So Paul uh, now urges them to keep doing this, uh, keep obeying Jesus uh, with fear and trembling. But why do they need to do this with fear and trembling? And why do they need to listen to him? Well, it's not because Paul is a scary guy. Uh, you know, not, Paul's not a person that you don't want to mess with. Uh, that's not the reason. Uh, but fear and trembling is how people should respond to God. For example, fear and trembling is mentioned in Psalm 2, a psalm about the Messiah. Uh, here, fear and trembling is a response one should have to God 
who can flare up in his just anger in a moment. And fear and trembling is a response one should have to God's Son as well, uh, who will come and rule on God's behalf. So that's in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we hear this uh, a lot as well. Uh, in the New Testament, fear and trembling are responses people should have to Jesus. But by the first century, what, kind of, what are people thinking around these kind of terms? Where are these terms used in society? Well, fear and trembling are terms uh, for the appropriate respect someone should give to their master. So a servant needs to fear and tremble uh, at their master. So what it's implying is this sense of uh, reverent fear or respect. So Paul here calls the Philippians to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. This means that Paul wants the Philippians to work out uh, what it means for them to be saved. To work out what impact their salvation has on the way that they live and as they interact with one another. As they listen to Paul, uh, listening uh, to and obeying God. Uh, and if they do this, they bring about God's good purpose. That's what Paul says. Uh, by, by God bringing about his good purpose, Paul means uh, God's plans. His good will for the world. His plans for the world. So when, we do, uh, so when we do what Jesus wants us to do in the world, God works his good will through us as we show people God. As we extend his grace to people as we tell people about Jesus, and as we act in obedience to Jesus in kindness uh, and do the right things to others, uh, we show people what Jesus is like. So that's what happens when we do do that. But what happens when we don't do that? Well, what happens when we don't do that? Uh, when people who follow Jesus, or in a particular circumstance, won't follow God's instructions, what are we doing? Well, we dishonor God. We don't please God who is at work in us by His Spirit. Uh, by, uh, but what it is that Paul wants the Philippians to specifically do, uh, uh, as they continue to work out their salvation, uh, work out what it means to follow Jesus, um, well, he tells us in verse 14, quite plainly, Paul says, do everything without uh, grumbling or arguing. So remember earlier I mentioned that the Philippians were struggling to be united as a church. Uh, it was more likely that the Philippian church was less of one entity, but a bunch of isolated pockets of Christians meeting together in people's homes. Uh, and they uh, had difficulty getting along with one another. And this probably came out of the fact that they, they really had much to do with each other. So we see this in Philippians 1.27, uh, when Paul says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Uh, then, whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, you will know that you stand firm uh, in the one spirit, striving together as for the uh, faith of the gospel, as one for the faith of the gospel. So in his absence, he has heard that they are united, uh, so he gently uh, encourages them to be united, and that's what a lot of this letter is. And we also hear it in... Uh, Philippians 2, 1 to 4, which you just read, uh, where he, his encouragement for them to be united uh, gears up a few notches. And when he says uh, this, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, uh, but each of you to the interests 
of others. So now, again, he urges them, in his absence, to not grumble and disagree with one another. And he really wants to motivate them to do this. So he gives them an explanation of why it is that they should uh, seek to work hard at serving the interests of others. And going above and beyond in doing so. So what should motivate them to do this? Well, he tells us in verse 15. He says, uh, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Well, why should the Philippians selflessly serve others and do what Jesus wants them to do? Uh, well, Paul says that when Christians do this, uh, they, they're blameless and pure. Uh, we show that we are children of God uh, we, who want to do the right thing and that we do do the right thing in life. Uh, we stand out among, among a world and a society who don't want to do that, <laughs> uh, we, who don't want to care about God, uh, and they justify doing all kinds of things that aren't good for people, um, that God doesn't agree with and, and God hates. So when we, uh, when we do obey Jesus, uh, we shine like stars in the world. Uh, we are like a light in the world. So uh, at uni, I've been looking at the, uh, at the chapter we read earlier, John 1, uh, with students two weeks ago. And we've been learning that Jesus is this light that comes into the world. Uh, look with me. Uh, also, uh, John chapter 1, verse 4 to 5, it summarizes it well. It says, In him was life, and that light, our life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So why do we need to do the right thing? Why do we need to listen to Paul and stand out like uh, stars that shine in the world? We need to do this. We need to listen to Jesus and stand out in the world because when we do, we're like Jesus. That's what he came to do, to be a light in the darkness, to offer hope to mankind. That's what we're meant to do. But that's not all uh, what Paul says. He keeps on going with his encouragement of the Philippians to be godly. He goes on to explain the result of being uh, godly in this life. What's the result of being godly? He explains that when we listen to Jesus, we're a source of joy and boasting on the day of Christ. Uh, look at uh, verse 16 with me, uh, where it says, As you hold firmly to the word of life, and then I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So once again, uh, Paul is referring back to Jesus in similar language as described in John 1. He says, as you hold firmly to the word of life. What is that? Well, it's a fancy way of saying, as you hold firmly to what Jesus says, to listen to Jesus. So, uh, but when the Philippians do uh, this, he says that they'll be able to boast. He'll be able to boast on the day of Christ. If they're obedient to God, then Paul will be able to boast on the day of Christ. When Jesus returns... That he did not run and labor and like strain himself and spend himself in vain. Well, let's just take a moment to think about that uh, about that idea. This idea of a Jesus return on the day of Christ. Uh, what, what would it be like if uh, for the people who shared Jesus with us uh, when when they see what we've become like if uh, if we've kept following Jesus and telling other people about Jesus? It'll be a joy. 
And what will it be like for us, who people we've shared uh, about Jesus with, uh, when they respond? Uh, or, or the counter thing is, if they haven't responded, uh, I think we'll be quite... Uh, they won't be good. Well, uh, so there's actually a person that I really like to boast about on the day of Christ. Uh, I remember when I was a registered nurse, uh, I was, uh, there was a 30-year-old patient who came in, uh, I was looking after, and this man, uh, he had murder neurone disease, uh, and I remember him when he came in. Uh, it was quite, uh, quite an experience. He was admitted in the ward, uh, a young man with a wife and a four-year-old child, uh, but he was a dying man. Uh, because of the advancement of his motor neurone disease, if you know anything about it, it's where you lose your ability to move your limbs. Your brain can't communicate with your other organs, and, uh, and slowly uh, your, your body deteriorates. And uh, so one of the last things that happens is you lose your ability to swallow, uh, then effectively what's happening is that person is uh, drowning to death, slowly. And I remember when I was looking, up, uh, uh, looking after him, I had a set of overnight shifts, I was looking after him, and uh, some of the instructions his family provided were, uh, keep the light on at night. Uh, and, and so what would happen at night is he would stay awake uh, every night, and um, so that's, yeah, that's what he wanted. And uh, I remember think, th thinking, uh, you know, he, I remember him being in his uh, right mind, he was lucid, um, and he was completely with it, he knew what was happening. But he couldn't say a thing, uh, which was really sad. And every time you saw him, he had this terror in his eyes. Uh, you could tell, uh, because he knew that he was going to die any day. So one night, I was looking after him. Uh, he was wide awake as usual, and I thought, man, this, this man really needs hope. Uh, he needs some hope in life. Uh, this man needs to hear the gospel. Uh, his time is short, and my pastor at the time, conveniently, was teaching me how to share about the gospel uh, in a short and succinct way. And I hadn't finished the course yet, but, but I knew this couldn't wait. So I'd uh, written out an uh, outline of how, uh, how I might share the gospel, and I was going to share it with him. There's these two nights I was working, uh, looking after him. Uh, one night I, I was too terrified, so I didn't do it. But I thought the next night I have to do it. Uh, so that's what I did. I went into that room when I wasn't doing it responsible for doing anything else. It was quiet. And I walked in and had a chat with him for a bit since he was awake anyways. And uh, by chatted to him, I meant that I was talking and, uh, and then, you know, he was agreeing or, um, yeah, acknowledging what I said with, by winking, uh, by blinking. And uh, I asked him if he'd like to hear about the hope that can be found in Jesus. I was like, you look like someone who is in need of hope. Would you like me to share about Jesus with you, uh, who can give hope? And uh, to my surprise, I said, you know, I said, blink twice if you want me to tell you about Jesus. And to my astonishment, he, he did blink twice. Well, I hope, I hope it was two blinks anyways, because I went on to share. <laughs> and I think he did. So uh, I got out of my slip of paper that I'd written down a short summary of the gospel. Uh, and, uh, and after I read it out to him, fumbling through, I explained to him a little bit what it meant uh, for me. Uh, and then I asked him, uh, do you want to receive Jesus as your own personal Lord and Saviour? Because that's something you can do even now. Uh, I said, if you'd like to do that, uh, just blink twice. And I thought this was a long shot. Because I don't know, he doesn't, I don't know what he knows, I don't know what he's thinking. Uh, but guess what happened that night? Uh, he, he did, he did accept Jesus. He did blink twice. 
I was taken back. I just didn't know what to do. Uh, I was overjoyed. Uh, so I went on to pray for him with his consent, uh, praying that he would know that if today he had received Jesus as his Lord and Saviour, that and believed in him, that Jesus says he would be with him in paradise. And there's certainty in that. So he was a bit teary, and so was I. Uh, and, uh, and I looked after him after that shift, and then I, uh, I wasn't looking after him after that. And I never actually saw that man again. I found out the next shift that I'd uh, come back, so the next week, uh, I asked about him, what happened to that guy? And they said he passed away the next day. Uh, could have been that next shift. Uh, and, you know, it's humbling to know that that could have been the last conversation he had with anyone. Uh, I'm not sure. Well, on the day Jesus returns, uh, if that man did believe, and I do meet him again in glory, man, will I be proud. Uh, man, will I boast and celebrate with him uh, that he believed in those final moments in his life, that my efforts to share the gospel with him and to risk that uh, weren't in vain. And, that, and it was a risk. If anyone else found out and I was reported, uh, I probably would lose my job. Um, but. But yeah, I thought it was worth the risk. Well, when we respond to Jesus in faith and obedience, and when we serve others self-sacrificially, uh, God brings about his good plan, right? It's not a sacrifice for nothing. Uh, this is what Paul taught the Philippians who struggled to consider the needs of other Philippians in the church, uh, in other gatherings, other people they don't know very well, uh, that, that they aren't sure is worth their sacrifice. So then Paul goes on in this passage in our last section to explain uh, why it is a, a joy and a privilege to offer yourself in self-sacrificial service of others. Paul teaches the Philippians that it's a joy to sacrifice yourself for the service of others. So it's a joy to sacrifice yourself for the service of others. That's uh, the, third, the second point, sorry, uh, if you're following along the outline. Uh, so Paul does this by telling them about his own joy and the privilege of making sacrifices of his own uh, as he serves these Philippians uh, in the church there, uh, which he's done ever since he's met them. In the beginning, on Paul's first missionary uh, trip to Philippi, uh, he was flogged and severely, uh, uh, so flogged severely and put in prison uh, for teaching them about Jesus. And he was arrested uh, as a public menace and a disturber of the peace. So he was preaching and was affecting uh, the livelihood of some people in that town. Uh, the dynamics of that are quite complicated. I encourage you to go to Acts 16 to have a look at what happened there, but I don't have time to explain that now. So he did all this, and he continues to do this uh, to serve the Philippians. Uh, in order, uh, He shared the gospel with them in order to help them to know Jesus. And uh, he did this at great cost. He did this for all the uh, Gentile churches. Um, but now specifically, or specifically to the Philippians, he, um, he now is serving them by writing to them. And while he's in prison, and praying for them all the time, worrying about them, even making plans to visit them, uh, if God willing, he would uh, make it out of prison, uh, that they might keep being obedient to Jesus. That they might obey him more and more. So he describes himself as a sacrifice on their behalf to God in verse 17. So he says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so what is going on here? It's very complicated. So let me take some time uh, to unpack it. Uh, so here, Paul is not trying to be dramatic. It does sound like that to start with. Um, but Paul is actually using imagery of this, the worship of God in the temple in Jerusalem. So he sees them as, uh, as this, their service to God uh, and obedience to God as, a, as an offering to God. And Paul sees himself as an offering that goes on top of that. So what happens with the worship of God in the temple uh, of the Jews in Jerusalem is you would go there to make sacrifices to God. Why would you do that? Mainly to show that you recognize that God is the one who provides for you and, uh, and also to thank him for doing these things. So uh, when sacrifices were made in the book of Leviticus, that where they had the, the main body of instruction for them to make sacrifices are, uh, it says that if you do these things right in the right way, it's pleasing to God. Over and over again it says this. But Paul now is picturing himself as a drink offering, right? So, uh, and a drink offering is a, uh, and an extra free will offering is what is offered at the end of the sacrifice. So uh, as people made a long journey to, from wherever they lived in Israel, uh, on foot, there was no cars in those days, uh, they would make all the offerings they wanted at once, uh, or a few at least, to make it worth it, because um, they couldn't keep going there, uh, because the temple was far away from most people, and the drink offering and free will offering, like I said, is offered at the end. But what function does it have? Well, it has the function of finishing off the sacrifice. To showing, uh, it has the function of showing how much you appreciated God, how dedicated and thankful you were uh, to God. Uh, so, uh, to make the offering extra pleasing, people would often do the big drink offering or uh, extra offerings at the end. And that's what Paul pictures himself as for the Philippians. Uh, as he shared the gospel with them, praying for them, worrying about them, and now uh, writing to them and planning extra visits, all this extra sacrifice is an extra sacrifice to God for them, which makes God pleased with the Philippines and is giving them joy. Uh, so just to make, he's happy to be spent as a sacrifice for them uh, in order that they might glorify God and that God might be pleased with them. So, he says that it's something that he gives in joy, and it's also something to be rejoiced in by those who benefit from his costly service. So, he, he wants them to do this, uh, to rejoice, because it has the effect of creating faith in the Philippines. He has the effect of helping people to obey Jesus, and uh, for them to be pleasing to him, and bring about his will. So, Paul calls the Philippians to rejoice, and to rejoice with him, uh, he does this in verse 18, he calls them to rejoice with what uh, self-sacrificial effort can achieve. So what can self-sacrificial effort achieve? Uh, Self-sacrifice can cause God to be known. It can cause people to believe in Jesus. It can cause people to be obedient to Jesus. And for God to be pleased and glorified at Christ's return. So Paul calls them to rejoice with him. Well, this reminds me of a lady I used to go to church with. Uh, uh, so, uh, so she's since passed away. I'm really sorry. All my illustrations have something to do with common dying today, but they're all really good, um, helpful. So Margaret uh, was someone who used to go to church with me. Uh, Margaret and her husband were, I guess they were mentors for me in some ways, for a lot of people. But they were also missionaries in PNG for many years before that. But to me, that's not... Uh, where I think her real missionary work was, not what I remember. For me, it'll be uh, when she was retired 
after she was a missionary overseas. So in the last few decades of her life, she evangelized to all the people living in her street. And uh, it wasn't a short street either. It was a long street along, uh, uh, with lots of large bush properties on, on it, on the central coast. Uh, one of the longer roads on the central coast. Uh, but Margaret uh, was just tireless in evangelizing to them, helping them, uh, loving them. But she wasn't just a missionary outside of uh, her family. She was also a missionary for her own family, particularly her grandkids. So she would pray for them and teach them about Jesus and just care for them and love them in whatever way was needed. And when I, uh, one time, and often I'd commend her for how she was such a great uh, Christian witness to her grandkids, uh, who were my friends and people that I knew. Uh, I'd, uh, she'd always say something like this. She'd always say, oh, no, no. What a wonderful privilege it is. Uh, isn't the Lord just so good to us? She'd always say something like that. So Margaret saw her efforts for her grandchildren and her children, uh, people she knew, to help them to know Jesus. She saw, saw it as a joy. And that's exactly what Paul is telling the Philippian Christians to see their Christian service as. As a joy. But I don't think Paul just is calling them to rejoice with him. I think Paul is also implying here that he wants them to join with him. To join with him in this great work of, uh, of working hard to serve others. To join him in the great work of, uh, that, that might, God might be honoured in what they do. That God's good purposes might be carried out in the humble lives of people. Uh, people who follow Jesus. Okay, so after reading all that, what should we do with all that? Uh, what might be God calling us to do from this passage? Well, I think God is calling us to recognize a few things. God is calling us to recognize that God is the one who works in his people and to achieve his purposes. So when you obey him, uh, you bring about his good and perfect will. Uh, so what you do, it isn't, it isn't just about you and that helps us to think beyond ourselves. Uh, it's God working out his good plans in the world. So when we do uh, obey Jesus, it leads to God extending his goodwill to people in the world. It leads to people's lives being changed. Remember that you're all capable of this. Anyone under God and with his help. Remember that when you obey God and do what is right in God's eyes, that you are children of God among a crooked generation, a light in the world. And when you do this, you stand out in the world in a good way. And cause people to ask, oh, what made that person want to do that? And you lead people to lean in on your life and, and pay attention to your life and ask questions like, oh, what made that person be good like that? Or, or make some question why they, they aren't like that. Uh, that's what uh, this passage is calling us to do. Uh, the passage is also calling us to remember that when we obey Jesus, uh, we're grounds of joy and boasting in the day of Christ. Uh, this is what uh, should give our life purpose and joy and meaning, uh, that it all actually matters one day, uh, the good that we do, the value of the things uh, that we do to our Father, who works out his goodwill through us. So Paul teaches us that when we obey Jesus, uh, you are a source of boasting for those who helped you to know Jesus uh, uh, when Jesus returns, and also uh, to help them to know that, uh, that their labor was not in vain. 
And we have to remember also that it's a joy to be used as a drink offering. That sounds strange. Uh, it's a joy to be used as a sacrifice uh, in the service of other people. Because when you do this, you just bring about so much good. It's God working in the world when you do it. It's worth doing, so when it's within your power to do it, just do it. You won't regret it uh, when Jesus returns. Uh, but what is God calling us to do from this passage uh, with all that? Well, I think he's calling us to listen to the instructions uh, of those who instruct us in the Lord, uh, to serve the Lord always. He's watching. You know, sometimes people will give instructions and sometimes oh, we don't agree with them, that kind of thing. But God is watching and he cares about how we respond to people uh, when uh, they instruct us to the best of their ability. God sees what you're doing, uh, so do it well. Uh, do it self-sacrificially and bring about uh, the good in the world for God. Uh, consider what is right to do in each and every situation and, and do it. Uh, it also calls us to pay attention to the word of life, that is Jesus and his instructions for you. We are to do as Jesus does. We are to do as uh, people who follow Jesus do. And also, like uh, Paul tells the Philippians, uh, we're also not to grumble and to be divisive in anything uh, that we do. We're to bear with one another. We're not to do as the world does, the way of the world. And that was, this was brought to my attention during this week. So I picked up Boston from school the other day, and the grandpa who was walking behind me, I heard him, overheard him say this to his grandson. His grandson said, oh, I got punched today at school. And, uh, and the grandpa said, oh, did you punch him back? Next time, punch him back. I thought to myself, that is horrible advice as a dad. I don't do that. Where do you get that, that, you know, those uh, morals from? Hollywood or something. You know, how Christians should respond to evil? Well, we respond to evil with good. As Paul says in Romans 12, 21, it tells us, uh, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We should rejoice over those who are willing to self-sacrificially serve us in the service of God. So our leaders and our parents, uh, older brothers and sisters in Christ, other brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ himself, would remember the people who have served us, that they might inspire us to self-sacrificially serve others and God. That God might be adorned and honoured in what we do. What a delight. What an honour. We should be willing to sacrifice ourselves for others in the service of God, like those before us, especially Christ, who we learned, you learned about last week, who served us first. So even in the ordinary things of life, uh, for your kids, uh, your neighbour, your grandchildren, or at your work or at church, be willing to put yourself out there for other people. Uh, it isn't a waste of time. Even if it might not be reciprocated or they might not appreciate it, uh, you do it for them and their good, that they might benefit. You do it for God. Uh, so we should do it like God, who works for goodwill and he doesn't expect to be paid back. Well, with all our efforts serving others and all our efforts to do things well, uh, do they matter? Well, let me finish the story of Stanley Dale uh, that I, had, I haven't told the whole story yet. Uh, so Stanley's efforts and even his own death at the hands of those he sought so eagerly to help and to teach about Jesus, well, it wasn't for nothing. How do we know that? Well, 
Another missionary is sent to replace him a few years later. So the missionary agency is brave enough to send more people and people are willing to go. But this time, with God's help, uh, the Yali people were willing to accept uh, the missionary uh, within their community. And the missionaries even succeed in learning their language and explaining the gospel to them in their own language. There's portions of the New Testament that are translated into their language. Uh, and the very tribesmen who killed Stanley Dale, they're still there, a lot older, uh, or further along in life now. Um, and uh, upon learning about the gospel, and as they asked more questions about Stanley Dale and what he was coming to do, uh, the tribesmen quickly realized uh, their shame. That Stanley Dale, what that he did for them, was really like Jesus. Stanley Dale came from uh, Australia, this faraway place, at great cost and away from comfort, to teach them about God, to teach them about Jesus, and he's killed in the process by their own tribesmen. He sacrifices himself for them that they might come to know God, to receive salvation for their sin through Jesus. So the tribesmen were cut to their heart. They were in deep remorse, just like the Jews in Acts that learn about uh, the fact that they killed Jesus, but they can still believe. So what the tribespeople in that village do uh, is that lots of them become Christians uh, because of this. And now there's a thriving church there. I think there's three or four generations of Christians there now, even to this day. So I think uh, when Jesus returns, I think he'll be happy with them there. I think what the day when Jesus returns, Stanley will be happy uh, at the fact that these people he, he tried to teach about Jesus, who killed him, uh, that it wasn't in vain that they've actually gone on to believe, become his brothers. What an amazing story. Well, let's come back to our lives. What about our lives? Well, as you reflect on all the effort that you've made for other people, especially the way you've served others as a Christian, uh, was it worth it in the end? And will it be worth it in the end? All the extra effort you put in in life, particularly as you serve others as a Christian, well, it will be worth it. Paul shows us that it will be worth it. Paul shows us that when we sacrifice, uh, sorry, when we self-sacrificially obey God, we are lights in the world and will be a source of rejoicing in Christ's return. When we self-sacrificially obey God, we are lights in the world and will be a source of rejoicing in Christ's return. So serve God wholeheartedly, be willing to put yourself out there for others, be willing to obey Jesus self-sacrificially, because it will be worth it all in the end. God, it will be worth it all in the end to God. Well, I say these things, and it's easy to say these things, right? But it's really hard to do. Uh, so let's pray for one another as, we, uh, as, uh, as I finish up. So would you join me uh, as, as I pray for you all? Dear God, I thank you for the great things that you offer us in Jesus, uh, that you offer something different, uh, someone who comes and gives because he has uh, and doesn't expect in return. And Lord, I pray that we might be people who want to do that, uh, that we might spend ourselves for others, that they might know Christ, that we might see that as the highest value. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help us as we struggle through these things. Life is hard and living in the sinful world, uh, we feel like we deserve better. Uh, and it's hard for us. But Lord, I pray that as we consider that, that we would uh, not allow that to um, consume our minds and, our, and, and, and drive the way that we do things, 
for others. Lord, I pray that you might motivate us to configure, that we would see the value and the joy uh, in serving you wholeheartedly and uh, doing what's right, that we know that we should do. So Lord, I pray that you would help us as we do that and as we go out from here today. In Jesus' name we pray.